This is Purple Radio On Demand. Right, hello and welcome to the second of Platinum's Euro podcast, where we'll be bringing you coverage throughout the summer of Euro 2020. Today, we're looking at Group B, containing much-fancied Belgium, outsiders Denmark, newcomers Finland, and one of the surprise packages at the last World Cup, Russia. I'm your host, James Reid, but thankfully I won't be whittering on by myself. I've enlisted some of the finest insight Durham has to offer. Firstly, I'm joined by George Sims. Hello. Uh, Jamie Sim. Hello. And last but very much not least, Harvey Stevens. Hello, guys. So, uh, the Euros are finally back. How are we all feeling about the return of international football? Yeah, really excited. Um, Should be a good summer, Um, obviously, with pubs back open should be hopefully getting back to the the international fever we had in 2018 um so hopefully yeah it should be a good few weeks it, it really makes the summer doesn't it like uh when, when football's on and on full form and i think the last two years with nothing it's been kind of you're kind of gagging for it aren't you what one summer off's fine when you've had two it, it kind of leaves you wanting yeah yeah no it should be um excellent really looking forward to it um yeah yeah three years since uh Kieran Trippier curled in that that free kick, and we all, I think we all peaked as as England fans, and hopefully uh, we'll have similar scenes this summer, if he even makes a squad, of course. Um, so let's talk about Group B then. Uh, let's start with Belgium, semi finalists in the 2018 World Cup, uh, knocked out by Wales, of course, famously in 2016. Probably one of the favourites for this year. What do we make of Roberto Martinez's men? I think it's I think it's crunch time for them really. It's been um been their golden generation, if you like, for the last couple of years. Um, but I think it's now crunch time for them to to really make a go at something. They've got um obviously they've got players who are coming to the end now of their of their international careers. When you look at the the likes of Odewerald and and Vertonghen and and those sorts of players. Um, but obviously both two of the best players in the tournament, De Bruyne and Lukaku. So they're going to be in with every every shout, but I think this is really crunch time for them. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, they come into this um, tournament. They're the, the best defence in, uh, or joint best defence with Turkey in qualifying. They're the best attack in qualifying. Um, obviously came third in the last last World Cup. And the only game they've lost since then, I think, is was to us in the Nations League. Um, and they're also in a group where they're playing Denmark, who they beat home and away in the Nations League, and they're playing Russia, who they beat home and away in qualifying. So they know that they're, they're well set up. This is, as Harvey said, like their last chance really to take advantage of this golden generation. And even now, I think as a result, their squad's a bit thin on the ground. If they get too many injuries, they're going to be in trouble. I mean, I know um, Axel Witzel in particular He's coming back from Achilles. I think saw a picture of him back in training yesterday. And whether he's back fit or not is going to be so important for how far they can go in this competition. And and you've still got, obviously, De Bruyne, probably their star players, mm-hmm. got to play in a final tonight. Like, there's still things to come. I mean, we know that, uh, obviously, Salah had a, an injury, didn't he, in the last Champions League final of two English clubs. So... God knows, it, like their squad could go one of two ways. You, like you say, you take two or three of those defenders out of that squad. They usually play a kind of five back, don't they, with left and right midfielders. And if one of those centre backs gone is gone, you've got Vertonghen out of your road for Matt for Marlin, and then you've got yeah. Boyata and Denayer, I think, are the other two. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure how much I back those as world class centre half. So you take a couple of the players out, and you, I don't know, the, the whole squad could change. Um, and 
yeah, but I'm very excited to see them. Um, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think they are. Yeah, could go one of two ways, can they? Um, obviously, like George, you mentioned, um, Belgium's like defensive performance uh, in qualifying. But I think probably if there are question marks over Belgium, it is at the back. Uh, not least their aging centre backs and their sort of incredible inability to produce fullbacks. Um, but is there has Roberto Martinez actually solved that problem now this year with um, Yannick Carrasco playing wing back for Atleti this year? Uh, Timothy Castagna has uh, done very well for Leicester and previously for Atlanta, and also the sort of the development of Thorgan Hazard into sort of this odd makeshift wing back could finally them having sort of strength in the wide areas be the key this year? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, when you've got Lukaku up front, um, if you put balls into that area, you're going to be in with every every shout of scoring a few goals. Um, so if they can feed him and obviously behind having one of the best creative players in the world, um, they're going to be in with every shout. But again, if, if Lukaku gets injured, then, then you know, who else they've got up front? They've got, um, obviously, Dries Mertens is, is a decent player. Benteke, I believe, is in the squad. Um, so they they do have options, but I think take a couple of those players out and, and they could be struggling. Yeah, let's talk about Lukaku then. Because um, probably Belgium have benefited somewhat um, from the delay, the one-year delay. Obviously, last year, Lukaku was perhaps a bit more of a maligned figure, especially after his struggles uh, at Manchester United. But this year at Inter, he's been absolutely transformed. Um, by Antonio Conte so I mean we've just sort of highlighted but really do, you know is, does he have potential to sort of be the top goal scorer is it really key that he hits form or are there goals coming from elsewhere I, I think 100% he's he's up there for top goal scorer like uh, when you look at also how far they're probably going to get in the competition and also that we mentioned this group probably isn't the hardest group um, they've not really got another massive side to compete with. There's, there's going to be very few games, I, don't, I think, in that group where they're not going to score one or two. Um, and he will be the focus of that team. You're talking about putting balls in the box all the time. The fact they're going to be playing with win-backs, it perfectly suits him. And I think it'll be a kind of group that he could he could dominate. And if they do make it further in the competition, uh, if things work out for them, he, he's yeah, he's 100% up there for the, the like, goal scoring in the competition. Yeah, um, um... Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he played 44 games for Inter this year, 30 goals, 10 assists, which is ridiculous. And I went back and looked at the the games Belgium have played since the last World Cup against teams that are at this Euros. They've played 12 games. He's scored 12 goals in those games. So he's not just scoring wow. against like your San Marinos and Azerbaijan. He's scoring against quality teams for Belgium. Obviously, under Conte, he's worked really hard on playing with his back to goal, playing players in and still being a world-class nine. So he's just getting better and better. He can play. He's now, he's played with Mertens and De Bruyne and all these people around him for five, six, seven years now. He's so well set up to be the top goal scorer in this competition. Yeah, and especially with, with um, the rumours going on, with potentially a move back to the Premier League, he's going to be in the spotlight. And I think that's going to give him just that extra bit of, of motivation to really have um, proved himself as one of uh, one of Europe's best strikers. Yeah, and I suppose the final thing for Belgium is not only do they have now Lukaku but, and sort of that support from the wing-backs, but midfield-wise, I mean, if you think back to 2016 where they had sort of the likes of Raja Nangolan and Marouane Fellaini and now sort of they've got uh, Yuri Tielemans sort of I mean he was sort of 
the best player in the FA Cup final really looks to have sort of come of age and really at that operating at that top top level now at the Premier League and this will be the really the first tournament that we'll see him at his sort of his, his best so far alongside someone like Kevin De Bruyne and obviously uh, George you mentioned sort of the absence of Witzel but even then I think that they've got that strength at least in the starting 11 uh, in midfield if although obviously perhaps if there are some injuries and that might be where the issues start. Yeah because I mean if they are playing that classic kind of 3-4-3 three, three almost if you put De Bruyne as one of the front three you need a, a classic number eight really in one of those two centre mids and they haven't really had that I mean you speak about Nangolan or, or Fellaini neither of them are your kind of classic f- uh, functional number eight uh, but Sielemans offers that perfectly um, and you're talking about injuries if he goes you've got Dennis Pratt who's also been playing fantastically for Leicester as well they're, they're both functional potential for goals that can both play a killer pass they're, they're, they're that's one of the positions that now they're probably not as worried as they were five or, five or six years ago. And then I suppose finally, the one man I think we haven't actually mentioned, which is kind of bizarre, but it really shows the strength of Belgium's squad is Eden Hazard. Obviously uh, left the Premier League in fine form, sort of having one of his best ever seasons, but it hasn't really worked out Real Madrid. Uh, had a lot of fitness issues, sort of really, really, has really, really struggled, hasn't hit the ground running. What do we think, you know, will he be uh, any use to Belgium during this tournament? Is fitness still going to be an issue? Or do you think that when he puts that Belgium shirt on compared to a Real Madrid shirt, we'll see a different guy? I think we we spoke earlier about it being crunch time for Belgium as a whole. I think this really is a crunch tournament for Hazard individually. Um, This is probably one of his last, last opportunities to to show that he is still a top player. Um, I think there's all likelihood that Izzy could move on from Real um, this summer. So with potential suitors looking, I think this is really important for him um, to have a good tournament and, and to prove that he is he is the player that, that he was when he was at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, when he was at Chelsea, a lot of the time they used to say that he'd just sort of turn up for training six days a week, do a couple of kick, kickabouts, lift a couple of weights and go home. He didn't, didn't really try and he just turn up and rip, rip players apart in in the league. I think he still has that ability. He can still he doesn't have to have played week in week out and been fit every game for Real Madrid. He can still turn up with his Belgium squad, and if he needs to, turn it on. I think he still, as long as he's fit, has that ability. And so I think he will still play a very big role for Belgium in this competition. Belgium, Real in that order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really is a testament to sort of the strength of their squads. Uh, let's chat about Denmark then. Uh, probably uh, the second favourites in in this group. Obviously, fairly sort of major, fairly regular qualifiers for major tournaments now. Obviously, then won the Euros without actually qualifying in 1992, all those years ago. Uh, played against England in the Nations League and actually beat England. So they can, it does seem, can sort of mix it against against some of the bigger nations and they've got a fairly sizable Premier League contingent. So what sort of a threat do we think uh, the Danes pose to this group and to the tournament as a whole? I I think Denmark could really be a team to watch um, this tournament. Um, Looking through their squad, they've got quite an evenly uh, evenly weighted squad. They've kind of got strength in in every position um, without any too many, you know, like superstars. Um, They have got some very useful players, you know, look at Schmeichel in goal, um, Simon Kjar and, and Vestergaard at the back then like Thomas Delaney Christian Eriksen's had a good season at Inter 
uh, Pierre Hoybier. They've got, they've got some really good players. Um, and if, if they can link up, then I think they're, they're definitely going to be challenging Belgium for the top, top of this group. And I'd be very surprised they're not to go through. I agree. I mean, one little weird stat that I found out earlier um, is that they've not actually lost, an, well, they've lost two international games in the last four years. And the only two games they lost were to Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't believe that when I saw it. I was like, I was genuinely going through the results. I was like, there has to be something wrong here. Can't. And yeah, it, it's, they, they are an underdog. They're someone that you look at and you think, okay, like you were saying earlier, they, they've got a really well distributed squad. There's not many yeah. superstars there, but there are players that are consistent. There are players that performance. Vestergaard's a great example. He's not a sexy centre back. He's not. Um, he's not like Virgil Van Dijk, but he he does everything functionally brilliantly. Um, that, that, yeah, absolutely seems to watch without question. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I agree with sort of class at every position. I think also they've got this. The striker, the Copenhagen striker Jonas Wind up front, he scored three goals in his six, only six international appearances, but he's had a hell of a season in Copenhagen. And I think he might be really important for them because he can, the players he's got around him supplying balls, even so like Daniel Vass, the sort of like um, Swiss army knife right back they've got. Um, Joachim Meiler, he'll play on the left. Or, um, from Atalanta, they've got some great players supplying balls in for them. Obviously, they've got that spine in centre midfield of Hoiberg and Delaney, who have both played at top level for a long time, done well. Probably on the wings, that they're going to have two essential strikers in Martin Brathwaite and Yusuf Poulsen. But obviously, Brathwaite's at Barcelona, Poulsen's at Leipzig. They're players who know how to win games and have won games for a long time. And so I think they've got that experience and strength to come together and really... Um, make a good push in this competition. Although I think they've been unlucky being drawn with Belgium because Belgium are, as uh, Jamie said, the only team to beat them. I think I've beat them like four two and two nil as well. Like they weren't um, they weren't tight games. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you meant it's interesting you mentioned uh, Jonas Vint up front. Obviously, because I think probably if you were picking a hole somewhere, if you were really looking for a potential weakness in Denmark, it would perhaps be up front. Uh, in qualifying, Christian Eriksen was their top scorer with five goals, and there was a couple of players with three. And they don't really have sort of that Lukaku figure, that sort of talismanic striker who uh, is sort of guaranteed to get you goals. Yusuf Paulson sort of often plays off off the wing or sort of on this sort in sort of this odd Leipzig formation that sort of is almost unique to them. Um, so it is really sort of is someone having someone sort of like that catch fire for the first time, is that going to, is that sort of the key for them going beyond perhaps expectations? Yeah. Well, I think with international tournaments, you always, you always get a team who, who has a, a player who comes out of nowhere and, and, and scores loads of goals. And I think with, with Denmark, that's, that certainly could, could happen with any of their forwards. Um, you know, it's international football, anything can happen. Um, and I think one of, at least one of those strikers could really, um, make a name for themselves this year. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, the, the only other thing sort of looking at them is they are somewhat inconsistent. I mean, Jamie mentioned that they were obviously unbeaten, but that does include draws against Georgia and the Republic of Ireland. Um, so sort of, does it really depend sort of what Denmark turns up? We sort of, we mentioned a lot of their their strength, but is it a case of it finally coming together for them? A lot of strong individuals, but actually on the day they need to put it together as a team performance to actually turn over the likes of Russia and Finland in this group who they'll need to beat to actually progress. 
it's funny you mentioned that because I looked at those those particular games. I, I, I thought, okay, well, what, why? How do you draw nil nil against uh, against Georgia? And we were just talking about their strikers, and I was thinking, if you're not relying, if you've not got a player that you can turn to, who's going to stick to the six yard box and, and tap the ball in like return Lukaku, just stick to the width of the six yard box, stand there and hope something comes your way. You're kind of relying on a spectacular. You're relying on a one nil. You're relying on a Christian Eriksen free kick or or an event to happen. And I, I, when you actually look at their squad, it's maybe not the striker they're missing because if Paulson's comfortable playing up front, it'd be fine. But it's maybe like a, a wide player. It's maybe a creative player that can kind of add something as well as Ericsson, someone that's quick, direct, that's going to offer offer that moment. Um, and so, yeah, if, if they do have a weakness, like you say, like this, the probably strength is their defence. If they have a weakness, it's going to be getting that goal, taking them through and getting them the three points. Because in a group stage, it's very unforgiving. <laughs> if you get three draws, you might not quali- You might not get through. Um, so yeah, it, 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 that, that that could be that could be the really weird, really weird situation they find themselves in. Yeah, no, I, I think the speed is a really important point because they're missing quick players. I think that's how you would beat this Belgium side as well. If you look at their defence, Belgium's defence were re- are slow. They're old and slow. Still quality players, but if people are running at them, they're going to get beaten every now and then. And Denmark are missing someone to do that, I think, which would be how they, which is how if I were Roberto Martinez, I'd be really worried about them. Yeah, I, I mean completely. I think that is sort of you know their their strength defensively. You know, sort of if in a in a low block or a medium block, it really is quite incredible. They sort of seem to boast now a plethora of of Premier League centre backs. Not just we've mentioned Vestergaard and obviously uh, Kier, who um, plays elsewhere. He's now, I mean, he must be sort of mid-30s, he's been around for so long, such a sort of uh, stalwart of this Denmark team, but also Andreas Christensen has come back in under Thomas Tuchel and done quite well, and also Joachim Andersen has done quite well at Fulham, so now they're sort of, they're growing in in strength and depth now as well, and sort of, I think Pierre-Emil Hoiberg is probably one of the best, uh, one of the best holding midfielders in, in the Premier League, despite playing for quite a, a strong Spurs side, so I suppose We've spoken about the lack of goals, but actually in a lot of tournaments, sometimes you can actually sort of get your way through with keeping the goals out, nicking a goal. And so actually, is it, you know, could they be one of those sides that to sort of use the cliche, hard to beat and they get their way to sort of penalties or extra time and actually could end up upsetting a few sides? Well, I think they've really shown that when they've played us as England. Obviously they beat us, what is it, 1-0 and we drew 0-0. And so very few goals... What do they get a penalty? Ericsson penalty against us? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so exactly, they 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 they're getting those goals through the little set pieces. When you go back through the, the games they've won, games they've played since 2018, they haven't lost. A lot of them are Ericsson penalties or Ericsson free kicks and those little moments. And so I think exactly as you say, it will be about them sitting back, being defensively solid, not making mistakes, and just hoping the opposition do. They're they're one of those teams that um, that frustrates the big teams and and can sit back and let them let them almost play and just frustrate them with their with their solidity at the back and, and as 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 George said you know breaking away and getting a penalty or a free kick and and in big tournaments that's that's where the upsets come and that's when the frustrations come so I think that's that's why they're they're a team to, to look out for yeah and I suppose the final thing to sort of the final two things to take into consideration is new manager. They sort of one of these one of the few countries that actually didn't renew the contract of their manager 
uh, after 2020 when it was meant to expire after the Euro. So they now have Kasper Hulmand in, in charge, formerly in charge of North Zealand, who, for those who aren't aware, run this incredible youth academy, uh, producing sort of basically most top Danish players these days, it seems. And finally, they're also playing at home. They've All three games, group games will be in Copenhagen. So how much of an influence do we think those things will have as sort of the, those tiny little edges? It's funny, yeah, because uh, we spoke about the golden era of Belgian football earlier, um, and this is kind of the back end of that. But Danish football is having a massive resurgence. I mean, like uh, there was a load of stuff in the early part of this decade where they, like 2010-11, they were re- regenerating their FA and everything became about producing young, new, fresh managers. They invested a lot of money in international management. And I mean, we can see that in Brentford who are in action right now. They've got a, a Danish manager bringing in lots of Danish players. There's clearly something something in the water in Denmark at the minute. There's a, there's a football drug going around. And maybe that'll help the support. Maybe there'll be, there'll be, the, there'll be additional support for the squad. They'll Obviously, you mentioned a lot of home games. It can be a massive advantage. I mean, we'll mention Russia in a second, but that was their big advantage in, in the World Cup a couple of years back. So we'll, we'll play it by air, I guess. Let's stay in that part of Europe then. Let's move to Finland. The first time they've ever qualified for a major tournament in their history. Quite a small footballing nation, only previously uh, given to football talented individuals such as Yari Lippmann and, and Sami Hüppia. Uh, but and probably one of the weakest squads on paper, but do they have the potential to upset some of the bigger guys like Iceland in 2016 uh, on the idea that they are greater than some of their parts? What do we think of Finland? Yeah, I mean, flicking through their squad, there's not too many household names. Um, obviously, you've got Timu Puki, who's by far their star player. But um, apart from that, there's not too many who will be familiar to a lot of, a lot of fans over here. But um, as you said... Um, always scope for for a team like that to to come together. Um, but personally, I, I don't I don't fancy them too much in this group. Um, I, I, I had a look at their, some of their results, and they've had some poor results in qualifying and in, in recent friendlies. So I wouldn't back them too hard. Um, but it's one of them where you never know. Yeah, I think there's maybe some geographical romanticism going on here, isn't there? It's like a yeah, they're probably going to be similar to Iceland because oh well. Uh, <laughs> It's it's in it's in Scandinavia. It's in Scandinavia, and it's a, an international competition. Um, I don't know. I've, I've looked like like we were just discussing. I've looked through their squad, um, and I can't really see anything that kind of stands out to me. You've got Glenn Kamara, who's had a great season for Rangers, obviously. Um, you've got Timu Buki, previously mentioned, but I think they're maybe one of the ones that will go under the radar in the group. And if they pick up a single win, uh, say if they get a win against Russia or if they get a freak win against Denmark could be looking at what we were saying earlier it draws on enough in this stage if if one of the other sides doesn't quite perform to their utmost or doesn't get the wins they need they could scrape through on a really weird conditionality and uh could see them see them in another stage um i mean yeah i think they have a solid squad they have a solid identity they played a very similar sort of squad very similar three five two for a while now they've got this relatively solid sort of central midfield three where they've got Tim Sparb at the back, Glenn Kamara, and then Robin Lodd thinks that Minnesota United, who's not a bad creative player, but again, still not like Gilfie Sigurdsson, for example, was in that Iceland side. Up front, obviously, Pukki got 10 goals in qualification. He scored 26 this season for Norwich, but with no supply and 
tough opposition. I think it's going to be really hard for them. They'll probably have um, Joel Pollen Palo next to him, who's been at Union Berlin. He scored something like six goals this season, even though Union Berlin have done really well. So he's not exactly prolific. And they've conceded a fair amount of goals. And I think they got him more than anything out of the fact that they had a very easy qualifying group where I think they had Greece, Armenia, Bosnia, Liechtenstein and um, Italy. And so the only team they really had to beat was Italy and they lost both times. Yeah, let's chat about Pookie then, because I suppose he's probably the most uh, well-known to British audiences after his exploit, exploits for Norwich. And obviously, as George mentioned, 10 goals in qualifying, no Finnish player, other Finnish players scored more than one. And even then, that was there was only four of them that scored one. So, I mean, they really are so reliant on him. He came, obviously, thinking about as well, last season in the Premier League, he scored 11 goals. And I think part of Norwich's demise was the fact that a lot of teams worked out how to defend against Pookie, especially he scored quite a few goals early on and then sort of tailed off a little bit. So is it a case of the other sides, if you work out Pookie, you work out Finland? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think if you nullify that threat, um, then I don't think there's too too much which is going to hurt, especially Denmark and, uh, and Belgium. Um, as I think it was George said, if, if they get a result against against Russia, then then who knows? But I think if they nullify Puki, they nullify Finland, and that's that's their that's their threat gone really. Yeah, I think it'll be a tough ask. I suppose they might benefit from the fact that there's those third place sides that qualify. You yeah, know, either one win against Russia, yeah, most likely could be the could be enough. Especially if they're able to sort of keep the goals down or keep it tight against the likes of uh, Belgium and Denmark. And I suppose the one weapon they have on that front is they have uh, Leverkusen goalkeeper uh, Lukas Radetzky. Not many uh, clubs can boast sort of not many nations can boast a keeper of that calibre, especially a nation of that size. Just how important could uh, Hradetsky be to Finland? Well, I think it'll be crucial because he's going to have a lot of shots to save because he's got three centre-backs in front of him. He's got O'Shaughnessy, Tuvio and Aragiri, I think. None of who are exactly household names for good reason. They're, they're not great centre-backs and they might be sort of warriors, but there's only so far I'll get them in this competition. I think Finland are going to have a problem that they play quite well set up to play smaller teams. They tend to be relatively patient. They try and get the ball out to the wing backs and get balls into the middle, but they're not like a lightning counter side like a lot of the teams that come in and, and makes uh, like the surprise packages in these, in these competitions. And so I think they're going to be trying to pass it around a bit, get the ball nicked off them too many times, and Hrdes is going to have a lot of saves to make if they want to keep score lines down. Yeah, it does, it does feel like an uphill battle, especially when you look at Iceland's group in 2016 was quite favourable uh, with Hungary, Austria and sort of this weird Portugal side. Mm-hmm. Um, let's chat about Russia then. I'll refrain from any Finland and Russia sort of uh, war jokes, but it could be that Finland versus Russia will be the game to give either side a chance of qualifying. Obviously, Russia were one of the surprise packages, as we said, of of the 2018 World Cup, beat Spain on penalties, uh, battered Saudi Arabia in their first, in the, in, the, in the opening game. And I suppose the question is, will they be able to do it again? My answer is no, <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you why. Um, well, the, the reason that they were good uh, in Russia was 
uh, a multitude of reasons. You had a home crowd. You had obviously it, it was probably their their peak year in terms of players coming through. You had Ante Juriba, who's who plays up front for them, was on a series of unbelievable goal scoring record. I think that season for Zenit, he got something like thirty two goals, and he was he was absolutely firing them. In. He's still doing that now. In fact, actually, I think about a week ago he scored four goals for Zenit. Um, but at the time he was he was incredible. He was um, absolutely hammering the, hammering, hammering them, in. and he did that in the competition as well. He showed up and he was kind of he, he was all over the posters in Russia. He was a, a kind of massive character. But when you take the competition out of Russia and you put it into a multitude of European countries, I don't think they'll have that same that same backing. I don't know whether it will mean as much to them. Um, but then again, I could be completely uh, blowing this out of proportion, and they turn up and they do the same thing that they did then. Um, cause some upsets and, and play well. And they played nice football in Russia as well. I don't know if you remember, Cheryshev was like, the, that, that we were talking earlier about a, a distinctive attacking player that makes direct runs and is, is killer when he gets the ball. And if, if he does the same again this time around, it'll be brilliant and uh, they'll be exciting to watch. Yeah, yeah I mean, oh, there you there go, James. Please. Well, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, um, they play their, their first two games I think or the, the only game that isn't against Denmark they're both in St. Petersburg so they do have that sort of home advantage but I still as you say think this is a much poorer Russia side than we saw three years ago I, I, I was looking on it was Tokyo Football Analysis and they were going through their statistics from the last year and out of all international teams when it goes for directness in possession forward passes out of every 100 and their sort of long pass tendencies they're all in like the 96th percentile and above this is about whacking the ball up from the back, trying to get it to Zuba, who plays it off to someone, and then they try and hold the ball up for long enough to Zuba to run forward. There isn't much more of a plan past that. He, as you say, Zuba, he's, he's been on good form. He got like seven goals in his last three games, but they were against... The, the four goals he got were against Tambov, um, or Tambor, Tambov, I think. But I don't mind Russian football, but I've never heard of them. Say they, they got two against Rota Volgograd and two against um, Lok Locomotive Moscow. So he's not exactly been battering the big boys. Um, and I think it was actually the same in qualifying because, well, I, I, the reason I looked at the Lukaku, um, how many goals he'd scored against teams that are at the Euros, is I've looked at Zuba first because Zuba had played 13 games since the last World Cup against sides that are at this Euros, and then he scored four goals, three of them were against Scotland. So he's struggled against bigger teams because um, I just don't think he's got the supply anymore. I don't think he's got the options around him that he had in Russia. Yeah, I think he is the player that they do seem to be most reliant on, top goal scorer for them in, in qualifying, uh, top scorer in the Russian league, and uh, has bagged himself a, a number of assists as well. But is there, a, again, is there that sort of case of you stop Zuba, you stop Russia? But they do have other players, uh, particularly perhaps sort of in midfield. You look at uh, Alexander Golovin and Alexei Miranchuk, some of the only players to be playing outside of Russia. Are, are we sort of perhaps doing Russia a slight injustice by solely focusing on Zuba? Well, Gol Golovin's, had a, Golovin's been all right the last couple of years at Monaco. Um, he hasn't lit the world alight at all, but he's been okay. Um, and I think it certainly could be a, a competition for him to him to step up. But um, I would be surprised to see to see Russia getting anywhere near their 2018 form. They've gone stale since um, they got thrashed by Serbia just just before the the start of the year. 
Um, and and yeah, I, I I would be very surprised. That, again, there's always a chance. You never write anyone off. But um, but as, as George was saying, with with the, with the way they play, I just, I just can't see them. I can't see them doing well in this group. Yeah, it is quite a different squad as well from 2018. They've lost a lot of the the experience. Akinfeev, Ignasovic, uh, yeah. sort of a lot of the CSK guys have gone. Although Yuri Zhirkov is still is still going at 37, which I've got a lot of admiration for. Uh, so, sort of again, we look. We're, we're thinking Russia and Finland are probably fighting out from the bottom. In terms of looking at the group as a whole, then, and sort of players that are perhaps ones to watch or uh, players that you'll have your eye on, hoping to make a breakthrough. Uh, who have we identified in Group B? Well, I mentioned Jonas Vind earlier. I think he is he's the guy that Denmark are really going to turn to. He got 17 goals and eight assists in 32 games for Copenhagen. The Danish league's getting better and better. He's obviously scored in three of his last six games for Denmark. So he's already been fitted into that slot and he's been doing well there. And I think with the supply line around him and the opposition in Finland and Russia, he could bag a few goals, take Denmark to the last 16 or last eight and have scored four or five goals in doing so. Um, and really made a name for himself ahead of a sort of bigger move out of Denmark. Um, I've got my eye on Mikael Damsgaard, who we didn't actually mention um, we didn't when we were talking about Denmark, but uh, 20 years old, um, winger at Sampdoria. Um, oh. I think he's got every chance of, of, of making a bit of a name for himself. Um, as we've said, the supply line that Denmark, Denmark boasts, uh, he could definitely be an integral part of that. And at just 20 years old, he's certainly one of the young players to, to keep an eye on the tournament, I would say. Yeah, uh, Juba was my was my focal point. Um, I've put him in my Euro fantasy squad uh, because I think he has. He he just I don't know. There's something about him. Uh, I'm a big Mitrovic fan, so you put you put Juba in his boots, and all of a sudden I'm a Russia fan. So you take a uh, Juba, and I, I also want to quickly mention as well someone we didn't mention about Belgium, but Leandro Trossard um, is someone that I actually think might get a shout for their their starting eleven um, because. We're talking about that directness. We keep mentioning kind of big competition. You need a player that's going to going to run at players. And Leandro Trossard's got that in abundance. He's uh, obviously had a brilliant end to the season with uh, Brighton, um, and I think he's someone that I put in as an underdog, at making some appearances for Belgium um, if they rest the likes of De Bruyne. I feel like we've left Bel- uh, Finland out here, so I'll uh, I'll put a quick shout out to Marcus Falls uh, at Brentford. Uh, who has been consigned to the bench quite a lot, understandably due to the form of Ivan Tony, but he's come on and scored quite a few crucial goals, including that playoff uh, winner to send them through to the final today. And I, I really hope he gets a bit of a shout. He really did well for Wimbledon in League One the season before. Um, and as we were saying, sort of that lack of alternatives to Timu Puki, he's only sort of 19, 20. Uh, and hopefully we'll be playing in the Premier League next year. But um, he could really, he could be that sort of that one alternative that they have and hopefully uh, give Finland something to shout about because um, we've obviously, we've been a bit negative towards Finland, understandably. Uh, but hopefully they have something beyond just Team Pukki. So in terms of predictions then, I think we're probably all fairly agreed in terms of roughly the makeup of this group. Probably one of the most straightforward uh, groups in the competition. So one to four, what have we got? I think we're agreed on Belgium, Denmark. Oh, actually, it'll be the bottom two, won't it? But I'd go Russia, Finland, personally. Um, that'd be my that'd be my order. Yeah, on the same. Yeah, I, 
I, I, my heart wants to put Finland above Russia, but I don't think I can do it. I think the Russians playing in St. Petersburg will just hit them about a bit, be clinical and probably nick a 1-0 um, because Finland's defence isn't the best and Russia do, to a certain extent, know how to win games. They obviously did it at the 2018 World Cup and they have that internet big tournament experience that Finland just don't. Yeah, I don't. I, I think most the romantic side of all of us will be hoping for a, a somewhat of a repeat of uh, of 1939 when Finland upset the Soviet Union. But I don't think, um, I don't think it's going to happen. Unfortunately, especially when you when we spoke about sort of that extra bit of quality they have in the likes of Golovin to sort of unlock uh, what will be probably quite a sort of stoic defence. And you don't. It doesn't seem like Finland have that, although obviously we never quite know. And then finally, looking at sort of how far we think these teams can go throughout the rest of the tournament, particularly Belgium and Denmark. Uh, how far do we have sort of potential winners on our hands here in Belgium? I, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, they're going in third favourites behind um, England and France for with most of the rookies, um, and I, I think that's a bit optimistic. Um, I don't think they've quite got the I don't know haven't got quite the tenacity to get, to get get make all the way um by all means quarterfinals semi-finals maybe but um I just can't see them just having the edge over the other team other big teams personally I agree I think they're massive favorites for the group but I, I, I just like uh, you put them up against the likes of like Germany who they could face or you put them up against France now you, you I would just personally I don't know. I can't see them getting much further than that. But Denmark, massively, massively excited about. Um, I think when I did my predictions for the actual competition, my kind of table tree, I had Denmark going to the semi-finals because they, they had a set of easy games the way I predicted the groups. So never know. Um, that's my romantic entry for the week. Yeah, I think Belgium's problem probably will be defensively against the big sides. I mean, we saw in the semi-final of the World Cup what, what can happen if they have Kylian Mbappe running at them when their defenders are three years younger and they'll, <laughs> they're will they well into their 30s now. Whether they play, well, they have to play Portugal who will have Jota and Felix and people running at them, whether they have to play Germany with Nabry and Sane, those defenders are really going to struggle. Um, even potentially against us with the likes of Sancho and Foden, they're going to they're gonna get relatively easily unlocked, even though Belgium have beaten us relatively recently. I think we're at this point going from strength to strength. Yeah, I think it probably depends whether Belgium can keep that first 11 together. As we sort of said, it's an imperial sort of first 11. But beyond that, especially defensively, it is a little bit weak. Although I think they have a fairly kind sort of path. I think they draw third place sides in the next round. So the potential for rotation there. But yeah, I I think it might end up being that a France or someone ends up sort of ending their tournament again, although with the likes of De Bruyne and if Hazard turns up, then they do have those players to sort of win you a game by themselves. And yeah, I think Denmark, I mean, I'm perhaps not quite as optimistic as Jamie about Denmark. I think they're one of those, they'll be tough to beat, but eventually I think they might come up against someone who eventually has enough to break them down. If, if it ends, albeit on penalties like Croatia in, a, in 2018. But I think, yeah, that that's Group B. Probably, as we said, one of the most straightforward groups on paper. But of course, international tournaments never do run smooth. Um, and 
there is certainly enough there to perhaps cause a few upsets. So we'll be keeping our eyes uh, fixed for for Group B, which starts on the, I think the Saturday um, yeah. after after Italy Turkey on Friday. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. This has been the second episode of the Platinum Euros podcast. There'll be more coming throughout the summer now that our exams are are done. We'll be chomping at the bit to produce even more content. Uh, I've been James Reed. I've been joined by George Sims, Jamie Sim and Harvey Stevens. Thank you for listening and tune in again soon. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. See you. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.